gentlemen and otherwise and welcome to the daily brain bleed my name is jeff my name's tucker and i just got my uh first pfizer shot yesterday actually okay okay how, how'd, you, how'd you feel about it let me tell you i am feeling great i'm feeling uh more autistic than ever before and that's i just think awesome you know i think that was always my secret superpower and i realized that i had like tapped a new level when I just went off on somebody last night, first sending them this article about some fancy stone carving, rather wood carving, uh, discovered in southern Russia, dated back to 12,000 years ago, but it suggests a level of craftsmanship that would not that's not conventionally understood to have been developed until later, which kind of, you know, can go with all these um, things that I've read about before, you know, at 3 a.m. when I really should be sleeping, about, like, the sites in Lepensky Veer in uh, southern Europe, the sites like Gobleki Tepe in uh, Anatolia, all these places that, you know, really seem like uh, they suggest civilization arose thousands of years before is commonly understood, but uh, speak to an era that's mostly been wiped out by natural processes or whatever the case may be. And I just kind of went off on this to talk about, um, I eventually got into like, maybe Aquaman is secretly Tamil in the uh, process of this. Um, no, I was going off because I, I went from this to talk about how, you know, the Dravidian migrations of the people who, you know, comprise the current ethno-linguistic uh, base of southern India today are now, many scholars suggest that they migrated from points west, perhaps from areas that are now sunk beneath the Persian Gulf, meaning that um, their original um, sites could still be underwater today, and this got me thinking like, oh, it's Atlantis, but like Tamil, and I recognize none of this makes sense to the vast majority of human beings out there, and this leads me to believe that this vaccine is working for me. <laughs> when when you said deep, uh, deep content hole where you're watching it at 3 a.m. and nobody else is watching it, that just makes me think about, have you ever been on one of those where you watch someone build a pool by hand out in like the Amazon rainforest or something? This feels like an even bigger level of just giving up on your self-respect than like watching people die on the internet it's just like r slash watch people die r slash watch people build a fucking pool <laughs> in the amazon r slash read about very early human civilizations uh, i mean i th i think about that in that there was like at one point land connecting what like the land bridge between russia and the U.S.? Yeah, the Bering Strait. There are actually a couple of different spots. Um, there's Doggerland, which is uh, apparently it was a landmass even until up 10,000 10, years ago in what's now the North Sea, uh, basically between the United Kingdom and Scandinavia. There is, um, uh, I forget the name of the landmass, I think Zealandia, which was apparently like New Zealand, but 10 times bigger than it is now. Old Zealand, if yeah, you will. Well, uh, yeah. Have you, have you been following the new landmass that's in the Suez Canal? Oh, well. <laughs> I love every guy getting on Twitter or Facebook or whatever and just posting some variation of a comment that's like, doesn't seem that stuck. <laughs> well, see, I it's because... I think when you look at it from like a very simple ape mind perspective, it's like boat stuck, just unstuck boat. Like the simple does not mean easy, mm -hmm. but it is a very simple problem. Right. Right. We, I mean, we definitely should just push it. We should. <laughs> let's let's take a leaflet out of Patrick Starr's book. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 
the thing that gives me the most faith in humanity is that all within like a few hours of this being a thing, I was already seeing like rule 34 stuff about the boat. <laughs> and now I'm seeing all this like erotic fan art about the boat. And I just think it's beautiful that we have so many people whose imaginations can be stimulated by all sorts of things. You know, you'd hear other people kink shame. I don't do that. I don't think I've ever kink shamed someone in my entire life. I encourage people to be themselves. That's the important thing. I enjoy the viewing of the boat, not the not the person driving the boat, but the boat itself as a socialist ally, because it's <laughs> it's so committed to stopping the flow of capitalism from seafaring nations that it just <laughs> no no it's a radical it's a radically reactionary um, action because it's just causing all that uh, sea traffic to go through like the Cape of Good Hope. You know, this is like. <laughs> Return to tradition, you know, with reject like a, modernity with like a V instead of the U. Return, yeah, like yeah. They, this is what they took from us when they built the Suez Canal, and now we don't have that anymore. And <laughs> I, we're gonna go back to feudalism. It's gonna be awesome, assuming I am part of the landowning class, um, which is iffy. But no, I mean, yeah, uh, and there you go. We can have all sorts of different um, ideological takes about this. I'm just imagining one of those like political compass memes, but like with each quadrant being filled by like everyone's view of how the boat getting stuck in the Suez <laughs> Canal is going to lead to their own like political utopia. Well, and see, we're, we're eating good as far as Twitter goes because, man, we have we have so much. We have... Cinnamon Toast Crunch Guy with shrimp in his cereal. Oh. We we have that, which is like lowest common denominator meme food. But right. like the flip side of that is I really enjoyed the way that he phrased um, an email to General Mills, which was, this is a mess of a company. And he had said um, they had told him to go to a uh, police station with the cereal to show them as like evidence of tampering with seals or something. And he was like, I'm not going to walk into an active police station with a box of cereal as if I am some type of victim. He absolutely or- should. He absolutely should. I'd love to see like the CSI about this. It's- <laughs> we're, show me know, the SVU. We're, we're doing like the forensic, uh, like reconstruction of how, you know, the shrimp could possibly have gotten into this bag of cereal. Wait, enhance? <laughs> enhance the shrimp? We're going to fully 3D print the actual living shrimp. Yeah, they're trying to do that, but then they find out they're getting, like, hacked. But, like, <laughs> 1995 era, like, cyberpunk hacked. You know, it's like, oh, no, they're rerouting the mainframe through our g- gigabytes. And now they're just 3D printing, like, Vocaloids. <laughs> <laughs> and it's dumb. Um, so that happened, and that's been fun. Um, what was the? Oh come on! What was the? What was the other thing that happened on my Twitter recently? Oh yeah, Amazon tweeting, guys, you don't really believe that peeing in bottles stuff, do you? I'm being gaslit by Amazon's Twitter. <laughs> now the the thing that um is truly going to lead to the downfall of human civilization is that everyone who runs a brand, uh, their online presence now graduated from like the same class of either Berkeley or like Brown three years ago, and they all talk the same way. And it's, I don't know, where am I going with this? I guess I'm going with um, sometimes just log off. Sometimes just don't. <laughs> well, because I believe that that tweet, which should go down like, so we'll we'll talk about NFTs in a bit. Have we talked about NFTs on this podcast no, before? No, okay, we've good. Not. <laughs> so great, that's great. Um, you know that should that tweet should be an NFT in as much as I oppose them existing at all. But that tweet because it was reactionary tweet. They didn't just tweet that out of nowhere. There was like some some or other politician talking about uh you know Amazon doing Mark this and Pocan. it's bad. Yeah. And then they were like, guys, you don't really believe that, do you? And it's like, it costs zero dollars to leave that in the draft, homie. Like, just don't <laughs> just don't press send. Like, did you have anyone else in the office read that? Or like was someone everybody else in the office was out to lunch mm-hmm. and you were just like, eh, it won't be a big deal. I'll just respond. I'm making a pitch here. Every massive tech conglomerate should just simply hire me to run their social media presence. 
and all that's going to happen is me get tweeting massive threads about like ancient human migrations. <laughs> and then you'll have zero followers and it will be as God intended. Yes. Yes. Um, we'll see. I think honestly, even if them responding to it and being like, you know, just completely out of pocket about it being like, you know, Oh, so when bell Delphine bottles are piss, it's okay. But when our employees do it, it's oppression. Okay. Hashtag stay woke. Like that would have gone over better. <laughs> The greatest picture I ever, I, I'm getting off topic, I know, but there is no on topic on this video, is... Uh, this video medium we're a part <laughs> of. <laughs> yeah, oh, You know what? Everything is kind of a video now, if you think about it, in the sense that, like... Use your imagination. Yeah. Um, we are projecting some sort of image into your mind. If not, we have failed our job, and I'm specifically trying to get at it now when I describe the picture from a while back of, like, just, like, the thumbnail of a video where... Um, you see the guy uh, just vaping, and the caption is, "I vape Belle Fiend's bath water." <laughs> I know, I know the picture you're speaking. And of. I yep. have no idea if that's actually real, but it's one of those things where it's like, it is real in the sense that someone created this image. Whether they actually, you know, carried out the thing is at a certain point irrelevant you know they put this idea out there into the world they knew what they were doing and i think it enriches our culture well something that i'm increasingly more interested in is these seemingly computer generated ads for mobile games mm -hmm. because it's like a very like to say that this is a kindergarten level logic puzzle is being generous like it's literally a, like a, a pencil and then two, it's in two parts, and they're like, oh, I have to line it up to make this leap move. And then they're, they're just constantly putting the square peg in the round hole for 30 seconds until you download the game so that you can do it right to appease your, you know, your compulsions. And I just, I want to know, like, who's, who's making these? Some of these are, like, absolutely emotional blackmail, too, because you have some of these videos that are like oh if you don't do the puzzle this cute little fish or something will die yeah and you know and it's it's it reminds me of the old national lampoon article where they have a gun up against a dog's head and the it says if you don't buy this issue we're gonna pull the trigger you know <laughs> and <laughs> see that's a much more effective direction for the sarah mclaughlin you know kind of in the arms <laughs> of the angel thing they need to show us them like putting dogs in jigsaw esque saw puzzles and being like, you can stop this. <laughs> we don't have to do this, but you have to pay for it. Yes. I think animal abuse would absolutely motivate many people to to many great things. Yeah, uh, are we a pro animal abuse podcast now? I'm pro is that, direct action. Is that is that what the case is? Um. Anyone, quote us in the future. If we ever do something that displeases you and you want to find material to hold against us, to milkshake duck us as, as it goes, um, yes, quote me. I, I am supportive of animal abuse. And see, this is where I would say not really, but it doesn't matter because now that clip is out, now that soundbite is out there. Yeah, you know? it exists. It, it you can't undo it, it. It really doesn't even matter. I could, I could donate... A million dollars to the ASPCA, and the fact that that um, audio clip exists entirely undermines it. And I think that's beautiful about our culture, where everyone who tweeted the most innocuous thing back when they were in their twelfth grade now gets hired by Teen Vogue and then fired by them. Oh, <laughs> okay. Some of the, to be fair, some of the things were not innocuous, but it's like not quite. I think innocuous is a little. Uh... Yeah, but the 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 only difference between the people getting canceled now and the people who aren't getting canceled is that they were slightly more online than everyone else <laughs> oh that's why i'm very glad that like the extent of my high school cringe posting was just that it was just cringe it wasn't like about race or gender or anything along it was just like oh you're i hate the popular kids like that was that was as good as it got from my uh from my facebook mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i'm safe you can't you know you know what else happened in high school that really even earlier than high school, like our middle school career, that you would just wonder where it is now. Will Farrell's career 
What my man Will Ferrell was like part of this trinity back in 2006 of like him, Jim Carrey, and Adam Sandler were in like the act, the you know, they were at top, the top of the world as far as comedy films go. And I think we there, there was a paradigm shift to what if we watched movies that were actually about something? No, but see, here's the, we can talk about how <laughs> you know, um comedy has changed as a medium and how comedy films at least the way that they were made 10 15 years ago really don't have so much of an audience anymore but the point is jim carrey and adam sandler went off and did other things adam sandler started making movies that are actually like really good like uncut gems um jim carrey you know he does his, his weird kind of like political commentator slash artist thing going on which you know whatever it is at least he's keeping himself in the public eye whereas will ferrell what happened to my man and yes i'm sure you could email me his imdb profile yes i he has done things in the past five ten years i am sure look don't add us on this podcast for not doing our homework if I want to do homework i would enroll in another college course what are you some kind of nerd yeah exactly our listener (laughs) <laughs> Every one of our listeners is like a, a massive nerd. nerd. Yes. Um which is to be fair perfectly wonderful, but You're... don't don't do to me what I do to other people when I send them the New York Times articles about the 12,000-year-old <laughs> um uh human civilization you know, whatever. remains it's like, that we found. It's it's this is absolutely uh do as I say not as I do uh right now. I, as a as kind of a tangential segue, um, this last week, and you know, again, here I am arriving to a movie party a decade late mm-hmm. with chips and guac. Um, I saw Stranger Than Fiction fairly recently, which is a Will Ferrell movie from like I believe like the late two thousands. I think two thousand six, seven. Yeah, so it's it's in there, and it's honestly kind of a delightful little turn from what I expected to see because like. Um, my, my wife had told me about, you know, oh, hey, there's this uh, Will Ferrell movie that I want you to watch. And I was like, I don't know that you've spent much time with me in movies, if that's a sentence that happens. But it was actually kind of just like a, a nice little rom-com with some inventive writing. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty okay. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal? Yeah, in no, that? another 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 actor who um, was really big 10, 15 years ago. and Where did she go? She's she was on the HBO show um The Deuce, which I I only saw the first season of that show. The Deuce. I, it, like D E U C E. It, it yeah. was well, I mean it was about at least the first season, the se- the second and if there were any other seasons kind of went in other directions, but um it was uh, in this like Times Square in the early 70s, very much like taxi driver-esque vibe. Interesting. Like okay. following a bunch of um prostitutes and pornographers and gangsters with it's one of those shows where like it was on hbo and even if it wasn't on hbo and it was on like abc they couldn't do it because even putting aside like the sexual content and everything every character was absolutely like a racial or ethnic or religious or like occupied how would I say with like sex worker stereotype an occupational? Yeah. But the point is everyone was kind of a stereotype, but with like just enough added depth that it was like, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, there's something going on here. Um, like every Italian is connected to the mob and you know, like all that kind of stuff. Um, I I thought you said they did stuff that wasn't true. (laughs) Okay. So no, um, yeah, (laughs) playful, playfully racist. I mean, there were other things going on, but I feel less comfortable joking about it. Sure. Uh, Stay stay inside your lane of things right. that you I, won't I, get. I, I can show anyone who's interested my 23andMe profile, solidly 20%, 21-point-something percent Italian. Uh, so, you know, I it's it's okay in this space to make fun of Italian. He has the pass. Yes. Um, I'm really leaning on that today, Italian autistic just like yeah no we're pl- we're gonna play all of our should i start making like depression jokes and right uh i mean i think the reason why so many people in wider society and this is why i think italian v- jokes are kind of cheap not because i'm like offended or anything i'm not really italian enough to be like super offended but it's like it's one of those things where everyone has this impulse to do edgy jokes and with the italian thing it's like 
there's just enough there that it kind of bites. There's a little bit of a sting, but it's probably not going to get you canceled in the I was same about to say, way. It'll that, it'll just groan and then you'll, you'll you know be okay. like uh, the the people making Italian jokes today would be the ones perfectly comfortable making like black jokes twenty years ago. And uh, 20 years from now, we won't be able to make Italian jokes. And and to be clear, I'm not saying this as one of those things that's like, oh, political correctness gone mad, because more often than not, it really is just kind of a crutch. You know? Yeah, it's like, just just be actually funny. You know, that that's hard, though. That's legitimately hard. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know you, that you it's will very recognize. difficult. It's, it's also one of those things where it's like, I remember we were making jokes the other day about... Um, Turkish Garfield and I was like it, it wasn't even really that it was just me noting that it was funny to see a video of Garfield sure with like but I was like oh, you know is Turkish one of those categories that you can like is that there and then I decided look when you have committed as much genocide as the modern nation of Turkey has done <laughs> um, you have graduated into a level of whiteness where it is okay <laughs> <laughs> you, you you have become the colonialist you swore to destroy. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, Stranger it, than fiction. Yeah. So this is a <laughs> this is a film podcast, if you can believe it. Um. Yeah. No. So I mean, it was it was really good. Uh. Maggie Gyllenhaal basically hard carries all of the chemistry for the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. you actually do get really invested in the relationship between her character and Will Ferrell's character, but um, it's ninety percent just because she can. She does like this smolder. That's like mm-hmm. so overacted, but not to the point of hubris. And it's just like it's like a, a a medium rare steak. It's just right in that ballpark or rare steak. If you want to be an elitist, that's fine. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> However, you like your steak where you can feel better about yourself as a carnivore. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But you get you get my point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no. I saw Stranger Than Fiction, I think, a couple times. Once just because I was watching it and once it was playing in a class like a teacher showed it. I could, I could see an English teacher wanting to show um, that film. But this was like 10 years ago. I so I don't actually remember. hang on. I'm not sure that I can vibe with that because if you were in like middle school, there is some there's some stuff in that. Uh, well, no, it was high school. I mean, it was like 11th or 12th grade. There is very specifically a fairly lengthy section where Will Ferrell is talking to a professor who is a volunteer lifeguard at the faculty pool, which, mm-hmm. by the way, does not exist in any college in America. That is just complete and utter BS. Mm-hmm. Um, but are, there's a lot of buts. Are you lecturing our audience about what's realistic about like a college depiction in uh, like a movie, I'm just, as though I'm, as though three fourths of them are not like liberal arts grads. Who are <laughs> well, they will they will join me in taking part of poking fun that it's like you know oh yes you're you know your college that has all of these amenities that people enjoy right mm-hmm. right that isn't just literally a shell for sports teams to have more places to practice or anything like are that. Are you saying that this movie was like a product of a like concerted propaganda campaign on the on the part of big college to make big you college. like for for all of the folks who are on the edge as to whether to per, to pursue a higher education um or to become uh, or like to pursue academia to become a professor they're going to sway them with this like hey we have a pool now well here's <laughs> my thing i want to go to college as portra- like i want to go to a liberal arts school as portrayed by a movie about a liberal arts school or you know like if if anyone remembers the nickelodeon dan snyder classic um zoe 101 you know that high school that away boarding high school Mm -hmm. like give me that experience please i want it i want (laughs) to know what it's like to have that bite of the apple Mm -hmm. everyone on a cw show who's in high school but their appearance and lifestyle suggests that they're in their early 30s. <laughs> um, d- um, on the flip side of that, do not give me the bite of the apple that is Twilight High School, mm. because that seems horrible and everything's blue. Everything is blue shifted. I'm blue. Davidi. Uh, the, the greatest um, urban legend I once heard was... And this is like the even worse version of if you play Stairway to Heaven backwards, it's like an ode to Satan with someone saying that if you play I'm Blue by Eiffel 65 backwards. It says I'm red. 
So many fake ass people out here nowadays. Um, no, but it's like a confession that he killed and cannibalized someone. What? You know what? I I wish that um what Eiffel sixty five is that the group? Yeah, that? I think so. Yeah. Um, that I wish that they had that type of forethought to create <laughs> an anthem about murder and cannibalizing. And then flipped it backwards and was like, oh, hey, this is still kind of catchy. Because right. in that sense, you've officially written two songs. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, I mean, it'd be so cool if it was actually the case that Stairway to Heaven Backwards was... About, was satanic, yeah. You know, um, because this is... What you're really saying is that the people producing all of our media are way more creative than they actually are. I I pray someone out there um, creates a conspiracy theory that you play this specific episode of the podcast backwards and we are like admitting to massive levels of financial fraud and embezzlement and all that kind of <laughs> stuff where we're just admitting to every crime under the book. And um, I will listen. To, I will listen to your three, three-and-a-half-hour video. I will take notes. Well, here's the real thing. Um, I want there to be a conspiracy theory that if you play this episode forward, it's actually a good and listenable episode of a podcast. Whoa, that's that, that that's getting a little uh, on the edge there. That's getting... It's too far. That's like maybe hate speech. <laughs> <laughs> it's discriminating against people that actually produce good podcasts. It's, it's discriminating against those with good taste, but honestly, people with good taste are the worst people in the world. Because, you know, you have the one guy out in the audience who you, you just can't make him laugh. No matter how many jokes, no matter the basis level of humor that you reach to, and it really just jams your vibe when you are in college at the bars in Knoxville, um, trying your hand at stand-up comedy and mostly killing it. I'm glad that some of those actually weren't recorded. Not because I said anything offensive, but because I, like weaved in and out okay there were some dicey things in there but you know the, the, well i mean that's that's stand-up if you if you record an open mic at stand-up without being asked to you're just an asshole right like that's it right unless you're at the laugh factory and your name's kramer um <laughs> that should have been recorded and it was um that's see so stranger than fiction no but what, <laughs> what were you gonna so let's let's continue having about five minutes worth of discussion about Stranger Than Fiction across 40 minutes of audio. No, I was going to say, that's like, so if you think about puberty doesn't stop <laughs> just because <laughs> you turn 18 or 26, it keeps happening to you, and mm -hmm. that that's that. Um, so people like to talk about cancel culture as this new thing that's happening. Sure. But like, you know, the, the bit that I'm... Referencing specifically for anybody who's not aware is Kramer, who was like he was on like what Friends? No, no, he was on Seinfeld. Seinfeld. And, well, that's the it, character that's it, that's was that's Kramer, it. and the the actor, the actor's name, Michael was, Richards. Yeah, and he said some very, very, very racist and unacceptable things. To be clear, we do not agree with no um, Michael Richards at all, and he's kind of disappeared since then. Yeah, there's, honestly, there was no bouncing back. He's one of those guys who, you know, he signed on to Seinfeld for like some very small percentage of the profits, probably. I'm not certain, but probably. And um, later made a killing because of the syndication rights. Um, the, the three people who have been like most, though, enriched by Seinfeld going into syndication are Seinfeld himself, um, Larry David. Curb your he was like a writer and whatever at the yeah. beginning. He's he's like worth hundreds of millions now. And believe it or not, because he was like an entertainment lawyer or whatever before he started his political career. Believe it or not, Steve Bannon. Steve <laughs> Bannon makes millions of dollars from Seinfeld. Look it up. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think that we should just return to living in the cave just you know just go back and then every now and then you get a piece of information like that where the stars aligned there was a syzygy and steve bannon is making out like a like a bandit off of seinfeld and steve, you're like it might have been worth it yeah steve bannon would not be in the position he was in to influence so much of the public debate had it not been for <laughs> seinfeld. wait so you're telling me that like breitbart is basically his like 
bankrolled, weird, conservative love child because he has so much money from Seinfeld. I mean, to be clear, other people are funding it if, if you know, you really want to be. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, but, but like, yeah, yeah, no. Um, so, yeah. Um, but so my there's liberal Hollywood for you, Steve Bannon. <laughs> um, so my point about the bringing up the whole cancel culture thing and Kramer at the Laugh Factory and all that business is that video is from like the early 2000s. It looks like it was filmed on like a freaking toaster. Like it must have been someone pulled out their Motorola Razor first edition and, you know, pressed the record button and captured whatever that was that occurred. And so it's like, you know, this is this is not new. This is not something that people are. I mean, the the amount of times it's happening to people and what we're willing to do it over is is evolving and changing. But this idea that, you know, oh, hey, you said something that people are really not okay with, and so now you're going to get blackballed. Like, that, that's that been happening. It's and, been going and on. And see, the people in a place like Northeast Tennessee who complain about this sort of thing have, like, really weird memories because until, like, cancel culture, you know, is a very specific term to describe what's going on right now. But if we're talking generally about you know, concerted activist campaigns trying to get people um, fired for expressing opinions that they don't agree with. Evangelical Protestants invented <laughs> the playbook on that one. You know, come on. Come all these people. I mean, didn't they have to clean up Ronald Reagan's image for Oh yeah, no, I for mean, his political bids? Everyone, because he was a little bit of a playboy? Yeah, no, I mean... That, that's what the thing everyone forgets is that um, in the late 70s, um, evangelicals were absolutely gaga over... Lady Gaga? Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, yes, being, being, being a Democrat, <laughs> being a Democrat, but culturally he was this good old boy peanut farmer from the South. So, you know, on an identity politics level, you know, he really appeals to a lot of those people. And here's the thing about the formation of the modern religious right that everyone kind of forgets, even the people who, like, don't like the religious right and would have every incentive to, like, uh, say something to you know tarnish them which is that we live in a like the standard line nowadays is that um the christian right formed as a response to roe v wade and uh, mass legalized abortion in the united states and that it essentially grew out of the pro-life movement that was not actually the case what it was was um in the 70s and especially under jimmy carter um various elements in the government pursuing desegregation measures yeah, 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 at yeah, yeah. All, but all these religious schools and all of that, which really upset a lot of these hardcore evangelical types and caused them to, um, you know, organize and everything. And yes, they mostly stopped caring about that kind of thing after a while, but that's what lay, laid the groundwork yeah, the, for the religious right as we know it the, today. The push for Roe v. Wade and pro-life as an ideology came reactionarily after that because they found out that they had this giant block of voters that they could mobilize really efficiently and mm -hmm. would all like really participate. And so they were like, well, what's going to be the next issue that we can really gas these guys up over? Well, and Someone was like, "Hey, what about uh, what about this stuff?" A lot of that was just coalition building with um, right wing Protestants and right wing Catholics, in the sense that, and people forget this, but in like the '60s and early '70s, uh, you know, evangelical Protestants, such as they existed at the time, in a way that's understandable to the day. But the point is, right wing Protestants um, were not that worked up over abortion um and a lot of them had really mixed feelings about the topic in fact there are a lot of people who supported abortion for a lot of reasons like you know we'll talk about rape incest of course but also in, in case of miscegenation that is oh you know if there, there's a mixed race child that should be that oh. should be that should be you know grounds in their mind but oh, the point but the, no but the point is like that was literally richard nixon you know expressing why he was you know kind of he wasn't really a a evangelical but you you take the point um yeah what it was though was a lot of um catholics were very upset with um, the legalization of abortion, because the Catholic Church has far more consistently and for a longer time 
um, been a, opposed to abortion as part of a broader sort of um, thing about the sanctity of life. You know, whether you agree with it or not, that's, you know, it's consistent. And so yeah, at least there's a degree of logical consistency. And there. so the the I think there are a lot of guys like Jerry Falwell or whatever who are Jerry thinking, Springer. <laughs> <laughs> they were thinking to themselves, you know, we don't like these damn dirty papists, but we can, you know, make him vote for us if we talk about abortion enough. And it, it's sublimated to the point where you do have a lot of evangelical Protestants today who are legitimately very um, animated about abortion. I'm not saying that everyone is, you know, acting in bad faith right here, but it's important to see how, you know, the twists and turns um, got us to this point. Talking about a religious group and then saying acting in bad faith is oh. a really, really good uh, little turn there that you did. And I know you probably didn't mean it as a work of comedic uh, fun, but it, it's, it was good for I'll me. I'll take credit for it. Um, so, so this is a so stranger, stranger than, than fiction. fiction. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I would definitely say that you should watch stranger than fiction. It's on, it's on Netflix. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal, great performance. Uh, I don't know who the gentleman is, uh, older older guy that plays the professor, but he does like the older liberal arts studied guy very, very well. I'm trying to remember, because I would know this actor, but I'm trying to do that thing where I'm able to remember without looking it up. And is it... It's not Gene Hackman. It's not Gene Wilder. Um, um, <laughs> let, me, let me pull up the IMDb page for Stranger Than Fiction real quick. Is it again? Again, it's been like ten years since I've seen this Dustin movie. Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Okay. And then, uh, wait, hang on. Queen Latifah was in this movie. What? I guess she was, huh? That wouldn't have dawned on me. And then uh, Emma Thompson as well, huh? How about that? Again, I don't really remember the movie, so like. I mean, it's it's a good flick. I remember like a few key, you know, elements. I remember. I remember the scene where Will Ferrell is like convinced he has to do nothing to. Like survive, you, you know. And then a crane comes through his. Wall. I I remember he's like watching the documentary about all the monkeys like getting killed in the Amazon or whatever, <laughs> and you know it's like really depressing stuff. But he feels like he can't change a channel because he doesn't want to do anything that will mess up the timeline or whatever. Well, also if you remember from that um, from that specific scene, he pees in a bottle, mm. and so you said monkeys in the Amazon, Amazon. Peas in a bottle. Hang on a second. It's all coming together. We have beautiful minds on this podcast. Eternal sunshine we, of a, the spotless mind on absolutely this podcast. Absolutely not. Again, listen to this backwards, and um, you're going to just get the... It's You know the funniest thing in the world? Um, you know the whole monkey on a typewriter thing? Like Yeah, sure. If if you let someone you know let, let the infinite monkey, number of monkeys on infinite number of typewriters will eventually produce like every work of fiction. I, I remember looking at the Wikipedia page for that recently, and what's funny was that there was a section. I don't know if it's still there, but there's a section on it that's essentially about like actual attempts to recreate <laughs> this. And believe it or not, you didn't get much productive. You just got, you know, these 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 creatures banging on the machines and like flinging feces and such. Well, I mean, it's 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 one of those where and this is a oh, this is a good callback when we talked about um the platform for an uh, mm. Spanish film on this one. You know, if you take the allegory apart too far, it doesn't work. And so it's like you have to take it for what it means, which is actually that from a large number standpoint, statistically speaking, if you completely randomized um, character presses within given parameters, eventually, according to the law of large numbers, you would receive mm. X number of limited um, results from that. Whereas if you actually put 50 monkeys in a room with 50 typewriters, it's much more likely they're just going to throw poop. I, I do wonder, though, being someone who is not really that interested. Who is a monkey. <laughs> not interested, nor really inclined to look this up further about, you know, if they actually did this and, you know, did they actually pick chimpanzees or, or monkeys or whatever um, species they used um, that had any sort of language training, or were they just picking random specimens out of the zoo to try this out? Because I feel like with some of these more clever ones, like if you got like say Kanzi, you know the bonobo, yeah, who is a stand-up guy, and you like spend a, a few stand-up comic, you know, not necessarily tr teaching him, you know, to type, 
coherent sentences, but like the basic principles of just typing it randomly, would, would that be something? I don't know. Can I can I put on my tinfoil hat for a minute? What's that? A tinfoil hat. <laughs> it's a it's a conspiracy. No, no, no. I, I no. I was like literally. What what's that? What are you gonna say? No. Okay. I got you. I got you. So um, so we're all aware of like what was it like Coco the gorilla that could do sign language? Yeah. Is that gorilla really talking? No, there's actually a whole article about this. In there's there's Sl- no way the gorilla actually synthesized language. Well, see, there was a whole article about this on Slate. I remember um, reading this a couple of years ago. It was written, I think, by a guy who is inclined to be unsympathetic to the notion that um, girls understand language. And look, I am neither an expert on... Um, animal cognition, nor on the theory behind language, nor everything else. But this is seems like one of those threads where if you pull it too much, it kind of undermines a lot of our working assumptions about a lot of things. Because if you're saying, oh, this this gorilla didn't understand language. They just knew that if you did this certain combination of signs at the right time, they'd get what you want. On some fundamental language level, isn't that like what humans, you know, use language for? Well, I mean, that's, that's what like a two year old uses language for. I Mm -hmm. I think the, the argument more so comes from the fact that people were willing to posit that as a sign that these, these animals could, and, you know, to be complete disclosure, I'm not talking about this from the point of someone that wants to be like, yeah, dumb animal. I'm so smart. Those things are dumb. Mm-hmm. But like they're not reaching a level of cognition wherein they are able to express abstract concepts. Well, I, like, I, I don't think that's ever been the argument, though. I mean, like everyone knows that these creatures aren't like for as clever as they are, they are not as smart as even the. Um, most feeble-minded of human beings. Even the Harry Potter stands. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Um, but the uh, but the argument is that okay, if they have some level of cognition and are able to express language at a level roughly equal to a very young human being, this does you know suggest that okay, this tells us. A little bit, not only about them, but about maybe, you know, human evolution, like how far back you get. I don't know. Um, the point is, um, we should absolutely spend billions of dollars in genetic engineering to uplift apes such that we get a Planet of the Apes scenario and um, they rule over us because I feel like that would be better than what we've got going on right now. I mean, if you if you really want to domino effect it, one day you had a fish come up on land. Mm-hmm decided to start being on land. Then you had a monkey pick up a tool. There was a fire somewhere along the way. Egypt happened. And then, you know, eventually we wound up with boats. Hmm. And then you stick one right in the middle of the Suez Canal. And, you know, you can draw a straight line between any two points if you try hard enough. Except, I guess, the people trying to sail through the (laughs) Suez Canal. (laughs) Except for that guy who might have been a trained monkey. <laughs> for all we know, yeah. You know, it I, might have been Coco the gorilla who I, is dead. Yeah, I no, I think Kanzi the bonobo would do a better job of <laughs> uh, being on that boat. Maybe he was on such a tight deadline he was having to pee in a bottle. I, I mean, and then that's why he put the ship sideways. Maybe. My, my favorite characterization of the ship has been, I was trying to carry cargo through the Suez Canal, but I'm dummy thick, and the <laughs> plates of my hull kept smacking against the sides of the bank. That's what I'm saying. Rule 34, you know, it never dies. Um, people have been making jokes that it's like, you know, if Trump was president, we would have at least heard out the argument that we should bomb the boat <laughs> to, to open that back I up. I mean, is it. that a completely non-viable solution? I, I Maybe, maybe not. I really... Look, that's the thing. We've got all these non-experts. I'm gladly going to put myself in that category. Talking about boats right now, nobody knows anything, and we all know kind of that nobody knows anything. So... See, um, I, I really enjoy average lay people getting really worked up about these really specific situations. Like mm-hmm. it's great for me to just hear sure. people pontificate. Cause like this is a really good one with the boat. Um, another one is if you remember the Chilean miners that got stuck in the mm-hmm. cave mm-hmm. or the, um, what was it? The uh, Thailand the soccer team in Thailand. Yeah. That got stuck in the cave and they had to do like the underwater rescue diving and stuff. And just hearing people being like, 
what if you just dug down there and then like an article gets released on CNN that's like, here's why they can't dig down to the miners. And it's like, how do you how do you even get that far down that you can't? I do remember someone making a joke that it's like if there actually was a relatively simple solution, Elon Musk would absolutely be trying to get get at, get on the bottom of this and trying to do it. But the fact that, you know, there is no easily exploitable media friendly way to fix this problem, it you know, yeah. Um, I choose to believe that crowdsourcing our invention of success to Twitter and Facebook, you know, that, that is really, truly the way forward. You know, there are people who want to build a uh, canal in Nicaragua. Oh yeah. Like, you know, kind of a second Panama canal and, um, Panama canal too. Yes, exactly. Electric boogaloo. This, you know, it's kind of, it's been a proposal for literally over a hundred years and has never really gotten anywhere but um maybe we should do it now maybe the moral of the story is the more canals the better here's an idea what if we took a backhoe and just made the suez canal wider Mm. just like broaden that thing out to like a two-lane kind of deal you know in science fiction we see so much about like flying cars in the future but when are we going to get the flying boats (laughs) hey treasure planet oh the helicarrier in marvel yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah. Um, but I mean, I feel like that's not a trope that gets exploited as much as it could. Which one of the was it the first, um, the first Avengers film where like they were going to do the thing where they were going to like isolate threats before they happened? That was in um, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Oh, was that but, Captain America? Yeah. Okay. Um, but but that that was a plot element. Yeah. Um, I just I remember seeing that and just being like, "You're describing Calvinism." Like you're talking about I, Calvinism <laughs> from a forced standpoint. I, I think it was more like supposed to be commentary about like, you know, um, the dangers of over surveillance and all that. But well, and, um, and I take that point, but it's much more interesting if you think about it as predestination. <laughs> it reminds me of that um, South Park episode where Cartman's going about about how like the government's watching everything that you do. It knows everything bad you've ever done, all that. And you have Butters just standing in his room looking out the window and saying, are you there, government? It's me, Butters. Let me just tell you about all the stuff going on in my life. <laughs> See, I do. You, do you remember when like Snowden and WikiLeaks and all that stuff like first kind of? I know those aren't the same thing. I know, but mm-hmm. when all of that stuff really kind of first started coming out, and like people were losing their minds about it, and mm-hmm. then jump cut to 2021, and it's it's probably worse than it's ever been realistically. Mm-hmm. But nobody cares anymore. Well, I mean, there there. The cultural politics surrounding that were different 10 years ago than they were now because you had a lot of conservatives who were more tied to, you know, the national security apparatus and you had a lot of liberals who were very sympathetic. But when, like, the net effect of it in 2016 was to hurt Hillary Clinton, you have a lot of um, liberals who are like, well, actually, Julian Assange is a problematic dude bro now. And and to be clear, he might really be guilty of all the things that they accuse him of. But that's including be, jaywalking. But that's beside the point. And but and and you have a con- bunch of conservatives going on about like, oh, the deep state, like, you know, they didn't support the Patriot Act. <laughs> <laughs> um you either die the hero. So nobody is consistent about these sorts of things and but then again, I recognize that my positioning myself as the guy who's like, you know, both sides suck, man. It's all the system and, you know, is really no better. It's certainly not a solution. Um, but I'm also not going to pretend that it's a solution. I'm just free associating making jokes about nominally uh, stranger than fiction right now. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, you said something about consistently. Let me tell you about a really consistent film start to finish. Stranger Than Fiction, <laughs> Will Ferrell, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, give, it a, give it a watch. <laughs> you watch the movie, you will get into a conversation about the Patriot Act. Like, I can guarantee Guaranteed. You. 100% mm-hmm. guaranteed. Um, if you watch that movie, you will become Coco the Signing Gorilla. This makes our conversation about Knives Out in the very first episode seem like real, like a really <laughs> in-depth exploration of that film and everything it had to offer. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be disparaging of film critics, but let's be real. You know, depending on the work, how much is there really to say about it? Like I, with Stranger Than Fiction, do you really want me to talk about how, you know, the scene of him picking out the guitars and blah, blah, blah? Like, d- does anyone actually want to hear that? 
Um, uh, probably not. No. <laughs> and I mean, to be fair, nobody probably wants to hear what's happening now either. <laughs> I want to but... know what's happening right now to, to Will Ferrell. Where did he go? Like, man disappeared. I think he's on the um, what is it? The Sea Force, the Scientology kind of thing. Oh, where they they keep them all out at sea in little boats. Mm. Scientology. I want you to know, um, if you want to see this podcast. Jeff is again the one legally liable for um everything that's said on here. Yeah, I'll take that again. I guess this has been enough content. Um <laughs> broadly broadly speaking, yeah, I think I think we talked for a while and said some words and um maybe drew some conclusions. Um they're poorly drawn. Uh, the moral of the story is that if you get the Pfizer vaccine, you're going to have a conversation that's exactly the same as this one right now. So draw your own conclusions. Well, so I got the Moderna and okay. you got the Pfizer. So mm. what if we parent trapped <laughs> and swapped? And so I got your second it's, dose of the Pfizer. And I think that would actually cause the zombie apocalypse, probably. That or you would become the coronavirus. I literally just shrink into like an Osmosis Jones situation, but I'm the Wait, are you telling me that I could become the antagonist in an Osmosis Jones film? Because I'm just telling you, the guy who was the fever or whatever that virus was, he was like kind of a badass. Osmosis Jones, if you're out there, uh, come on the pod. You know, we want to hear you out. We'll get a really small microphone. Yes. <laughs> and really small little headphones. There you go. Just for you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is... Ensure to be remembered as one of the great canonizing episodes of this podcast. Uh, this <laughs> this has been the Daily Brain Bleed. Um, my my name's Jeff. My name's Sucker. Try try to have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>